do they ask what pronouns you recognize? If their paperwork has check boxes for male and female, that's not a good sign. If they're a little bit broader, but they say things like gender preferred, little things like that stand out to me because this is not a preference I made. It wasn't a choice that I woke up one day and said, I'm gonna be gender fluid today. I think I'm gonna take on that stressor in the world and go forward and see, see what happens. It doesn't work like that. If only. <laughs> <laughs> right? if who, only. who chooses to take on this level of minority stressors in the world in a country that doesn't understand or accept it? In 2017, I had it all, but it was a world built on a secret that I didn't want to deal with and could no longer contain. And that's when it all came crashing down. You can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. Welcome to Falling Out. This is a podcast dedicated to LGBTQ mental health and everything that it encompasses. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy. Currently, I am working as a therapist in Frisco, Texas where I see a lot of sexual orientation and gender identity clients. Joining me across the table is my very good friend and co-host, Coleman Charles. Coleman, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. I am super excited to be here for our first podcast. Just a little bit about me. I am a queer person of color. I live in Dallas, Texas. I am not a therapist, but I have been to a lot of therapy. Really, just the fact that you've gone to therapy does give you some knowledge on the process and, and what to expect. Our goal each week is to invite you into a particular facet of the queer experience and unpack things that many of us have experienced collectively, as well as give you the unique snippets in individuals' lives. There's a lot, a lot to unpack, a lot of things we're going to be diving into. Not all of us experience the same thing, and that's okay, but there are shared challenges that we often face, and we want to get into all of it and explore how it can impact our mental health. So whether you are falling out of love, falling out of grace, or even falling out in the parking lot after a night gone wrong, we're here to pick you back up. So mental health, it's not something we always talk about. I'm not just a therapist, but I have also had my own mental health battles as well. And therapy can be scary. To a lot of people, it's perceived as something negative. Growing up, even you know, just in the 90s, early 2000s, I had this one girl that was going to therapy. She's taking medication. She's gaining weight. She's having outbursts. And at one point, my mom, you know, with my kind of issues, asked, like, do you need to go to therapy? And I was like, uh, heck no, because I didn't, I didn't want to have to go through all of that. Not only is there just this stigma of there's something wrong with you, let's address this. There's all of the stuff that comes along with going to therapy. I think that's particularly true for a lot of the SOGI population, that sexual orientation and gender identity or the queer population, because a lot of times our first experience to therapy may have come in the form of conversion therapy. That was something I experienced growing up where I was sent to a counselor to change my orientation. That was just such a traumatic feeling as I couldn't exist as who I am. I couldn't be authentic to myself. And a lot of us have that aversion because we don't want to be put in a box as something to be fixed. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, especially when we're younger, is that we're hiding this part of who we are. And so to be vulnerable and open that up to some stranger, I mean, that's, that's really kind of scary. And that is a lot of the attitude that I think people bring into therapy. There's almost this fear of why do I want to open up to a stranger? I often reminded my clients, why would you want to open up to someone who might show up at dinner tomorrow night? I heard someone explain therapy. It's like you get an hour to remove yourself from reality and unpack everything that's been in your head and bounce it off of a professional that can help you kind of analyze what's all in there. 
I know for me, I just am constantly in my head overthinking things. Being able to put all that out there and kind of be like, is this normal? Do other people think this way? And have someone kind of affirm that. And in all transparency, you know, not only have I been a therapist, but I've also been a client. I've been in therapy myself. Four years ago, I went into a really dark, depressive time. I had made a poor decision and it blew up in my face. The fallout was devastating and in losing relationships and losing a career. I own my mistakes, but at the same time, I learned through therapy after, you know, seeing someone and being able to talk things through and and process that entire experience that I'm not letting my past mistakes define who I am. That's actually one of the big things that I talk about with my therapist in therapy. These decisions and mistakes that I may have made, especially in a place where I was super depressed or maybe in a, in a manic phase, those don't define who I am. Like who I am versus my thoughts and feelings are not necessarily the same person because thoughts and feelings can change, but I feel like who you are is at your center. It takes a while to define who that is, but therapy has definitely helped me do that. Speaking of amazing therapists, I am so excited about our guest. Sarah Stilwell is here to talk to us a little bit about the state of the union of the LGBT community in terms of mental health. What are the important statistics we need to know? What are the resources available? What are some of the red flags that are happening in our community that we need to look at and address? Sarah has a specialization in affirmative therapy for sexual orientation and gender identity minorities and is currently a PhD student where her research focuses on non-monosexual erasure. She also works as the clinical coordinator of affirmative therapy at a large private counseling practice. She's also knowledgeable of pagan practices, polyam affirmative, and kink aware, so she also works with counseling clients in those populations to provide a safe space to promote good mental health and healthy relationships. She is also a volunteer leader with multiple divisions of the Texas Counseling Association, primarily the Texas Counselors for Social Justice and the Texas branch of the Society for Sexual, Affectional, Intersex, and Gender Expansive Identities. Outside of work and school, you will often find Sarah spending time with her partners and children while gaming and or fangirling. Thank you, Sarah, for being here. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. What kind of got you into affirmative therapy? Kind of a journey. I started UNT doing my bachelor's in psychology. And while I was there, that's when I first found my home with the LGBT community, where I didn't really feel I had a community for a long time. When I decided to go into mental health, I knew I wanted to do something around that focus. And I met someone there who had gone through the SMU master's program and raved about it and said that they even did a internship at Resource Center of Dallas. And I really wanted to work for Resource Centers one day. So I went to SMU was the only school I applied to and happened to get in, so that worked out well. My very first semester there, they sent out an email saying, is anyone interested in doing a specialization in LGBT affirmative therapy? So I felt it was meant to be, and I was one of the first seven to graduate with that specialization. And this has always been my passion and my love, and I continue to do research in this field, and about 75% of my clientele right now is LGBT in some form or fashion. How do you identify? I am pansexual and gender fluid. Does that help you in therapy with LGBT? 
LGBT people? I do think so. I am very transparent with my identity with my clients. I know that there's a stigma against therapists that we're not supposed to reveal too much about ourselves or we're not supposed to bring that in. But one of the greatest compliments I've ever received from a supervisor was that I'm just very authentic. I am what I am. And my clients get that. My clients appreciate that I am part of the community and they say that it's helpful for them to know that I understand the things that they go through and that they don't have to explain themselves. That's one of the biggest parts of being an affirmative therapist is they don't have to explain their identities to me. They feel like they can jump into the things they actually need to work on in therapy rather than taking the time to teach their therapist about their identities. I've noticed that the minute I identify as a member of the LGBT community, it's almost like the pressure in the room changes. Yes. I've actually seen palpable you know, signs of anxiety leaving the mm-hmm. body of that whole, I don't have to explain things to you. And I'm now safe. It was kind of shocking for me at first to be able to see a client say, I've never heard anyone use my pronouns before or ask me what my pronouns are. There's a lot of power. And and I think it's helped the therapeutic relationship. It's one of the first things that I ask people on intake is like, what pronouns do you recognize? I've had so many clients say like, no one's ever asked me that when they met me. So it's, it's, changing. It's life-changing for them. Now, you are currently working on your PhD, correct? I am, yes. What's the topic you're studying? Two things, actually. I've done research so far in non-monosexual erasure, and that includes bisexuals, pansexuals, omnisexuals, etc. Anyone who feels they love more than one gender. I'm in the process of publishing my first research on that. The second thing I'm going to be working on my dissertation on is how to determine whether a therapist is competent in working with affirmative therapy. How do you determine that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping to create a scale that will measure it. Can you explain a little bit how affirmative therapy is different from just, you know, everyday regular therapy? Affirmative therapy means that your therapist is both knowledgeable and competent to work with sexual identities and gender minorities. It's more than just like we're cool with it or we're friendly towards it. It is we understand it, we embrace it, we understand the culture behind it. One of the big things that my clients get is in intake, I ask them about cultural identities. And one of the first things I'll say is I already know that your pan and your gender fluid and those are part of your culture. And they are taken aback that I actually acknowledge that as a cultural identity, not just an identifier. So we understand the culture, we embrace it, we're affirming of it, and affirming is way different than just being friendly towards it. There are a lot of therapists out there who will put on their bios or something like LGBT friendly. Every time I read that, all I hear is you'll take my money, but you don't really understand anything about me. An affirmative therapist means you don't have to explain yourself. I think that's really nice because for a lot of LGBTQ people, when they do talk to people, if they're not part of a community and they haven't talked to anyone about what's going on with them, to have that feeling of safety and having someone that you don't have to explain who you are and how you feel when that's either what you've been hiding or what you've been having to do with every new person you meet. I have some people who are not out therapy is the only place they can be out. I have some people exploring gender identity for the first time. That's their safe place to explore it. A lot of people, I think, today think, well, why are we focusing on this? Why is this important? So why should people care about sexual and gender minorities? Big thing is that, you know, research is showing that we're a huge part of the population now. I mean, we're still not part of the census, but most research out there shows that we now encompass nearly the state population of Kentucky. We also have increased mental health. We have so much more issues that we deal with due to compacting minority identities that increase our stressors. Suicide rate is higher within 
minority populations. And the more minorities you add on, the worse it gets. You take somebody who is gay and white, they're going to have so many minority stressors. But then you take a person of color who's gender fluid and pansexual, and they're going to have a lot more. Let's get more into kind of those stressors. Why are LGB adults two times as more likely to have a mental condition and trans people are four times as more likely to have a mental condition? Trans people specifically, there's a trans murder epidemic happening in America, which is not something that's spoken about very often. It's the fact that we don't have a safe place. It's, I mean, just, what was it, six seven years ago, almost, that we just got legalized equal marriage in America. So, I mean, we're way behind the times on finally getting noticed and recognized. The mental strain that it takes to have to hide yourself within a society and culture, the fact that we face daily stigma and fear from the people around us, the people we work with, uh, the people we see on the street, or the people we pass in the grocery store. We don't know if they will be a safe person if we bump them on a bus. Are they going to react violently towards us? There's still such a thing as the trans panic defense where people can claim that they were afraid of a trans person and get off for a violent crime because of that. It makes this country a not safe place for LGBT. For SOGI people, I mean, four times more likely to face violent victimization. Correct. Kind of like you mentioned, you know, we're, we're seeing that epidemic, especially in the trans community, but more specifically black transgender women. And that happened a lot in Dallas as well. Like we had many trans women of color hurt, hospitalized, killed just for their identity. You use SOGI community. So what what is that for those of us that may not know? Our alphabet family is ever expanding. More and more labels are created every day. And when people say things like LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, LGBTQIA+, we're always leaving someone out. Like, it's not an inclusive acronym. When we say SOGI, it stands for Sexual Orientations and Gender Identities. That includes everyone. The term was first coined in the UN. It is specific to our community. Specifically, it's not to include hetero and cis. And when, when was this rebrand that I wasn't aware of? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember the actual date of when it was rebranded. I started using the term at least five years ago. Yeah, this it was, you know, something that I, I honestly, I didn't know about until, you know, we were about to do this podcast. I was like, so what is Soji and why do you not know about it? It's the newest <laughs> yeah. thing. It's not popularized yet. There's still a lot of research studies that are coming out now that still say LGBT. What, what can I expect and, and how do I even go about finding that type of therapist. You want to look for therapist profiles that say affirmative versus LGBT friendly or something like that. Being affirmative goes so much further than just acceptance. It's a therapeutic approach. It takes a perspective that your experiences, families, and identities are equivalent to any cis or hetero person. The affirmative therapist is not going to apply standards, norms to you that don't apply to you. So taking out the biphobia, transphobia, cis-hetero norms of our society, we remove all of that. I would imagine a lot of us have dealt with bad therapists. Oh, yeah. Um, I know when I was younger, I was sent to a uh, counselor to try to fix my orientation or a form of conversion therapy. 
I think it was the second or third session when he recommended that if I would watch heterosexual porn, it would probably change me. Um, so it was really funny to come home and, and to, to be like, hey, mom, the doctor says I need to watch porn. I'm going to be back here because this oh is God. this is the prescription doctor's orders. But, but, I, but I, I remember that that feeling of going, yeah, I am not comfortable in this situation. This is so weird. On and, so many levels. Well, and, <laughs> on so many levels. And, you know, if you if you go home and you, you okay, I'll, I'll try it out, whatever, and you start watching porn and you're like, that guy's really attractive. And, <laughs> and, and then I kept going, oh, no, it's not working. This isn't working. What do I need to do to fix this? And I was like, oh, it should have been lesbian, lesbian porn. porn. I don't <laughs> – so, so for me, I mean, but that was the kind of therapy I got. And, and for a long time because of that, I went, I'm not going back. I'm afraid to go into an office. I'm afraid of this level of judgment. So for, you know, if someone experiences that or they feel like they have a bad therapist, what do they do? Try another one. <laughs> find a new therapist. Find one that says affirmative, especially, you know, if you're part of this community, find an affirmative therapist. There are bad therapists out there. Unfortunately, one of the issues in our field right now is that there is not equivalent training across the board. For therapists. Going to one school is not the equivalent of going to another school. And the education that you get should be at the basis equivalent across the board. We're working towards that with an accreditation now that's going out across the country. And so at least there will be some basics that therapists have to meet in their education. But right now, all therapists are not made equal. When you take it a step further to know that therapists not only went through their basic training which included years of college training, courses, internships, practicums, and then licensure training and internship and practicum. But to know that they went further to specialize specifically with your population alone speaks so much heavier to that therapist. What does that training look like? Even when I was going through grad school at the time, there wasn't that coursework available. But part of me is like, well, I identify this way I got it. <laughs> you know, I, I can, I, I mean, so I, I know that's, I mean, and there's books and I've, you know, looked at books yeah. and things like that. I've been able to use my unique experience, you know, in the therapeutic relationship, but what does that training look like? What do you feel that counselors need to know? And up to now it was just, I'm gay and I've got experiences, so I got this. My supervisor who is a gay woman, actually was horrified that I was taking special training in our community to work with us. Like in a positive way or in a negative way? In a way? negative way. She was like, we're no different from cis or hetero people. Like, yes, but we are. Like, but, I think it's, it's one of those, like, you know, we're all the same. Right. Like, we're all humans, but, like, we do but have also... a specific <laughs> set of problems that need specific set Correct. of training. We have so many more stressors than the average cis hetero person. So yes, you do need specialized training. I'm currently working on developing that training. When I went to SMU, I took three courses in affirmative therapy. It was broken down into LGB therapy, affirmative therapy for trans and gender nonconforming individuals, and then affirmative therapy for couples and families. So that coursework is not found anywhere else. Like I have scanned the nation looking for other programs and they may have like one course here and one course there, something on affirmative for trans individuals possibly, but nothing like a program. I'm actually developing a certification program in affirmative therapy. It will be four courses. I have turned it into SOGI affirmative therapy to be more with the times versus LGBT affirmative therapy. 
It will focus on affirmative therapy at the core basics, affirmative therapy for trans and gender nonconforming, affirmative therapy for relationships, and affirmative therapy for child and adolescent. That biggest part, that additional course for child and adolescent is one that's really unfounded and unheard of, specifically because a lot of people who work with kids either do play therapy or they're school counselors. Children show up in their offices daily with these concerns and issues, and then the therapists aren't trained or competent to work with it. I want to come back to this because you were talking about affirmative therapy and what that looks like. So what are some clues or, or maybe signs from if I'm a client and maybe there's not that terminology on the website, what are some questions that maybe an affirmative therapist would ask or, or do differently so that I might be able to know the difference as a client? Do they ask what pronouns you recognize? If their paperwork has check boxes for male and female, that's not a good sign. If they're a little bit broader, but they say things like gender preferred, little things like that stand out to me because this is not a preference I made. It wasn't a choice that I woke up one day and said, I'm going to be gender fluid today. I think I'm going to take on that stressor in the world and go forward and see, see what happens. It doesn't work like that. If only. <laughs> if <laughs> who, only. Who chooses to take on this level of minority stressors in the world <laughs> in a country that doesn't understand or accept it? Currently, I started a rainbow dictionary of identities, and I think I'm up to like 30 plus gender identities right now. Wow. So <laughs> it's more than you can list on checkboxes. Yeah. And so, people are like, more than two? That's way too many. <laughs> well, if, if you go to Gender Wiki, there's like 256. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, wait, I don't, this is a new one for me. Right. So I know it can get really confusing. It can. This is where it's important to allow people to identify themselves and not try to box them into anything. Since Soji people are more likely to have a mental health disorder, part of the reason why they have mental health disorders is because they're not getting mental health care. Affirmative therapy, does that help them to, you know, statistically have a less likely chance of, you know, having a newer studies? Yes. That's still a field that's very much being researched and looked into right now. It's one of the things I'll be researching with my dissertation. There is overwhelming research stating that the population suffers increasing mental health. Overwhelming. So that is definitely out there. Part of the dissertation that I'm looking at is how do we determine if someone is actually competent to do affirmative therapy? So what do you say to the SOGI person who already has a therapist? They've been in therapy maybe for many years. Maybe they're hearing some microaggressions in, in sessions or they, they're kind of aware of, hmm, this person may not be affirmative. What do you recommend to that client? I encourage them to address microaggressions. I would hope if they have a really good relationship with the therapist, that the therapist is willing to hear them. When I supervise therapists, one of the things I talk about is you need to have humility that if a client confronts you on something or says that you said something wrong, apologize and learn from your mistake. So I would hope that whoever they are seeing, that person can accept being addressed for a microaggression. If you attempt to address a microaggression and the therapist becomes defensive or shuts down, I recommend you find a new therapist. Let's talk a little bit about Texas. You you mentioned earlier. Can we not? Can we not? (laughs) I mean, we're here. (laughs) You work on a lot of these organizations at the Texas Counseling Association and the Texas Counseling for Social Justice. But Texas is a unique place right now, especially politically. How are we therapists in Texas and how can we navigate this? How can our clients navigate some of these challenges? Stay abreast of things that are going on. When you look at go to vote, please vote, please go to vote. 
When you do look at who to vote for, look at their platforms and whether they're including us. There was some stuff going on with Texas that was really shady in the last five years or so where there was a backdoor policy for licensed professional counselors where the ethics for the LPC license did not include sexual orientation or gender identity. If you were a member of another professional organization like the Texas Counseling Association, then you're covered under their ethics as well and therefore had to recognize these identities. But if you were only an LPC, which certain counselors preferred to only maintain that so that they could have a backdoor to discrimination. Sounds like Texas. Our governor recently attempted to have the Board of Social Workers change their ethics to actually take off sexual orientation and gender identity. We fought that one. And there have been multiple laws going up in Texas to restrict trans individuals specifically and discriminate against them. There was a bill roughly labeled the Chick-fil-A bill where people would have the ability to discriminate against our population due to religious beliefs. And what's the what's the, like the reasoning behind this of excluding us, of, of taking, you know, trying to erase who we are? I think they're afraid of not being the majority anymore personally. The most recent that passed on special session was protection for girls sports. Right where children on sport teams in Texas have to be on the team specific to their sex at birth, not their gender identity, but their sex at birth. This would require trans kids to be on a team that's not affirming to their identity. What it really turns out to do is just disclude trans individuals from sports altogether, which is truly unfair to these children. And there's no reason for it. it the argument behind it was to protect girls from boys in the locker which doesn't actually happen. Well, and the, the rhetoric seems to be so strange as if there's a lot of male athletes who aren't successful in their sport right. is suddenly going to go through all the stress and strain right? and trauma of coming out as trans just so they can play on the girls' basketball That's team. That's a lot of work. Right. And, and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I worked in education for a long time. I don't know a lot of teenagers who want the blowback or who also would even go through that much trouble just to get onto a team. I feel like those people don't understand HRT, hormone replacement therapy, at all. I didn't like puberty the first time around, and I certainly don't want to go through it again Double as an puberty, adult. No, thank, no you. thank you. No thank you. We've recently had the Genesis Center close. In December, Children's Health quietly removed branding from its website, which provided gender-affirming care to transgender children. Mm -hmm. The clinic was closed after a group of conservatives organized a protest at the homes of some of the Children's Hospital board members against the services that Genesis provided. I've had other therapists reach out to me and say, what do we do now? We don't have anything yet. I am a friend of the social worker who worked specifically for that program, and I am constantly touching base with her to see if we've found any resources. I'm looking for resources. One of the major problems here was that program did not only serve Dallas, it did not only serve North Texas, it didn't only serve Texas. That program served every state around us as well. Kids came all the way from Kansas. The next closest programs that are similar are in Colorado or Georgia. The doctors in the program did reach out to those programs to see if they could refer the clients over and they said, we're full, we, we can't take any more. It leaves all of these families with no resources. I have people also reaching out to me all the time saying, where's a safe place I can send a family for hormone blockers for a kid? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. We don't have the resources yet. Before, Genesis was always there. And so it was 
such a wonderful, convenient resource that no other doctors ever took on the liability. Now we have nothing. Do you see a lot more children coming out as part of the SOGI community? Why do you think that there's this increase in the amount? Is it because, you know, people are more comfortable with it? They're they're not hiding themselves? Like- I'm actually really excited for the youth of America right now because they're rejecting identities. It is more popular now in youth to identify as fluid in both sexual and gender identity. Um, we're seeing that a lot more in the youth of America today. They've rejected the norms and standards of generations prior to them, which is very shocking for the generations before them. They don't know how to deal with that. But I've seen more kids now being harassed for identifying as cis or hetero. Why are you so close-minded? Why are you restricting yourself so much? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, awesome. How the tables have turned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was, right. you know, 20 years earlier. <laughs> so um, it's exciting to see how the youth are embracing and making changes nowadays. They've just rejected labels completely. What, what do you think are the biggest mental health crisis that maybe is facing the SOGI community? Obviously, we do have a shift in that youth zeitgeist of what's acceptable, but what are some things that our community is facing that we could look towards as therapists or even as clients? The top three comorbidities with our population are depression, anxiety, and substance use. Those are all directly related to minority stress factors that we face. There are countless studies that show that directly deal with so many more increased minority stressors, and those lead to long-term depression, long-term anxiety, and usually people turn to substance use to treat that because they've never had a safe place to go to get help before. What about resiliency? I don't want to paint a picture that being queer is all about self-medication or suicidal ideation. That tenacity, that resilience, that zest for life all seem to be personality traits of what it means to be in the gay community. So how does that factor into mental health? That's what my research focused on for the non-monosexual erasure. I was looking at what could counselors help instill in individuals who are non-monosexual to help fight minority stressors. And the thing that came from my research, the number one thing that came out of it was resiliency. Like if we can find ways to bolster resiliency and in the data so far and across research, that's shown to be a major factor in all of our communities, not only non-monosexual, but everyone across SOGI is that due to the factors that we face, all the stressors that we face, we have to build bigger walls and better resiliency to deal with the things that we deal with. Cis and hetero never have to consider these things. Where we do, every day that we wake up and step out into the world, we have to consider who do we come out to today? How do we dress? How do we appear? Who are we dating? Who do we love? How does that affect us? Will people accept us? Because of that, we have to build resiliency that cis and hetero people never even have to consider. And and I think that's a, a real trend in our community. I mean, you've seen that throughout history, I mean, even just looking back at the AIDS crisis and having to come together, you know, support each other. There was just such a camaraderie and resiliency of survival. Uh, I even think at the beginning of COVID, it was kind of like, we've been through this before. We know how to handle it. We've got this. All those memes that were like first first uh, plague, you know. (laughs) The government's lying about something medical. (laughs) I think that's a lot of who we are. We're resilient people. 
And because we've had to face those things, we we know how to pick ourselves up. We know how to stare down adversity. Well, and it's funny, you know, you're talking about resiliency and how cis and hetero people have not had to deal with this. As someone that's dealt with, you know, mental health issues, you know, from their teens on, it's, you know, with COVID, you know, I think it's definitely brought up mental health. And um, I loved seeing this meme that was like, you know, all you people on this depression bandwagon, like I've I've been on it, you know, for, for decades. Here. I've been here. I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> so with COVID and everything, when that pushed people kind of to, to sequester, and, and I know it caused a lot of mental health issues for everybody, and we kind of all went through this, you know, shared experience. Do you think that that's a lot of the reason why, you know, maybe we're talking about mental health so much? And does that make people more empathetic? I'm hopeful, yes. One of the biggest pieces of COVID was that everyone experienced it at the same time as it was happening. And so this was not something that hit one population or another and another population couldn't empathize with it. This was a universal human experience that we all went through together. Empathy on that level was so much bigger and people who'd never experienced mental health issues before were suddenly thrown into depressive states because they were trapped in their house alone. There was no human contact, no touch, nothing. Massive anxiety from having to be on a Zoom. For my clients who were already in therapy at the time, they did discuss how they felt like they were doing so much better than their colleagues who were right. not in therapy because they already were working on the skills to deal with these things. Going back to that resiliency, it's like, you know, I was definitely super depressed, but I'm like, I know how to deal with this. Correct. So, I got know, this. Yeah, I'm just going to watch, you know, all of Sex in the City and eat some ice cream. Yes. Many people who identify as Soji are also part of second communities, sometimes third communities. And, and those communities are also marginalized. How does that apply to the mental health crisis as far as LGBT or SOGI populations? I think it's important to recognize intersectionality. Intersectionality uh, is a term that was coined not too long ago, and it speaks to when you have multiple identities that are crossing each other and all of those identities are marginalized. Therefore, the minority stress factors caused by one are then complicated by the cross-section of another identity that's also marginalized. It's like some of my clients, pansexual, gender fluid, also in poly relationships, also pagan. They're coming in with massive amounts of minority stressors that nobody understands. You've got maybe some people who understand them as pagan and some people who understand them as people of color, but they don't understand what it's like to be a pagan who's a person of color because of those things, coming to a therapist who specializes in multiple marginalized communities is very helpful. Let's talk access. Things that I hear time and time again from people in the community is, I can't afford to go to therapy. Therapy's so expensive, I don't have insurance. What are some of the barriers and challenges with the SOGI client's access to mental health? These barriers are really broken down into two different ways, systemic and individual barriers. We have the systemic barriers across our society, which are rejection from services, mentioning like the LBC code where it allowed people to discriminate against our population. The physical environment, climate of services, maybe they're trans and trying to explore their gender identity, but they can't go into an office right across from a, a church where they want to dress authentically where they're afraid to. Issues with the availability, appropriateness of service, lack of competence, and that's one of the biggest things is lack of competence across providers. The service cost and the availability of providers, we're still under a crisis in, well, across America, but specifically in Texas, where we just don't have enough mental health providers to service all of the people in our areas. And then individual barriers come down to, like, how do we find affirmative providers? How do we self-advocate? Like if a therapist says a microaggression in therapy, how do I advocate for myself in that moment? 
feeling unable to talk about or being embarrassed of your identity, fear of the treatment, the stigma that they'll face by ignorant people, non-competent people. What is the impact of validating someone's existence? Well, we know invalidation causes significant damage. Research shows it impacts the psychological health and well-being of a person. So feeling invalidated creates the belief that their subjective emotional experiences are unreasonable, unacceptable, or insignificant. It jeopardizes our sense of existence, our self-worth, leading to feelings of anger, shame, guilt, worthlessness. These feelings cause negative impact on our individual day-to-day -day functioning. They lead to psychological health conditions like depression, anxiety, PTSD, and multiple different personality disorders that we deal with. The emotional validation plays a number of important roles, which is what we can offer as mental health providers. We validate someone's emotions. We show that we care and accept them for who they are. People who show each other acceptance are able to feel more connected, build stronger relationships with others, let down those walls that we talked about that create the barriers. When you validate someone's emotions, you're showing them that they are important to you. I will say from my personal experience, some of my biggest breakthroughs in therapy were when I had a, I had a joint session with my mother and we talked about how she didn't she didn't validate my feelings. You know, she validated who I was as a person. But yeah, I just remember like I wasn't able to speak and then I just like broke down. And and again, just I don't know, feeling feeling valid, like, you know, even not just your identity and who you are, but sometimes just your feelings and how you feel, because that was one of my problems when I was depressed. I don't know what's wrong with me. My mom's like, I, I can't understand why you're depressed. You know, you have friends. You, you do well in school. Why are you depressed? You think if I knew, like, I'd be in this situation? I didn't choose this. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to be sad, mother. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody picks this. Yeah. What advice would you give a Soji individual concerning their mental health? If you could tell them one thing, what would be the most important thing for them to do? Or Your mental health is valid, and it's worth treatment. And it's worth finding somebody who understands you and will treat you the way that you should be treated. It's important to get our mental health noticed, validated, and taken care of because it can create so many more issues down the road if we don't. Sarah, while we still have you here, we want to kick it on over to Coleman to give you a little fast faves today, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Right, Sarah, who is your favorite artist? Lady Gaga. What is your favorite food? Anything Mexican. What is your favorite type of animal? Unicorn. What is your favorite show or movie? Oh, uh, I'm a movie buff. It's way too many to choose from. Just pick one. It's fast. Rocky Horror Picture. All right. And what is your favorite fandom? Oh, that's cruel. I know there's so many to choose from. World of Warcraft. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, thank you so much for being on our show. Just before we leave, can you tell our listeners where to find you? Say they're looking for an affirmative therapist and they decided you're the one. I'm currently practicing at Dallas Counseling and Treatment Center. We have four locations in Dallas, Denton, Plano, and Rockwell. Thank you again for coming on. Will you please come back? There's so many topics that I don't think we got a chance to even scratch the surface of. And I need to take, I need to take those courses uh, when, when they're ready. Please, please come back. Yes. So there it is, Coleman. That's our first episode of Falling Out. Uh, what'd you think? What'd you think about Sarah? 
I thought Sarah was great. I mean, it's it's so wonderful to have someone that is just such a wealth of knowledge and just how great it is to know that there are people out there like her that are affirming to our community. And that really, again, give us that validation that <laughs> I don't know about everyone else, but was lacking for, for so long in, in my personal life. And there's so many facets to mental health in our community. Uh, there were so many things that I wanted to ask her about some of the other work that she's done. Right. <laughs> uh, that I was like, well, I, that might have to be another episode. I really do appreciate that because I know I've even had some fear walking into therapy because I'm not, I'm not sure what I can tell you. I'm not sure what I can say in this room that's safe. I think one of the struggles as a client would be like, are you for real? I've never felt that acceptance right. <laughs> from someone you know, in authority. So it's like, wait. Are you just saying you're accepting me? I see that where clients start to test the waters, but I, I think it's so impactful for those in our community to find that place, that safe place where they can share, where they can talk about these things and know that someone actually is out there saying, this is okay. Yeah, I know my therapist is heterosexual male, um, cisgender male. He doesn't get everything, but I know that he he affirms who I am. And I know that that just means a lot. And that's something that I definitely looked for in a therapist. And it's like, if I don't feel comfortable with someone, why am I going to just tell them everything? And that's so important in therapy. Sarah mentioned it in her interview. The fact that when you have an affirming therapist, you don't have to explain everything about your existence. Clients get frustrated, I think, or at least I've seen it from my perspective, where they feel like they're here to teach me. And that's not what therapy is about. Sure, I'm there to gather information and learn about you as a person, but you don't have to teach me that you're valid. And you don't have to explain terminology. It can be frustrating when you're really dealing with a crisis and you want to talk about it and you're like, oh, wait, let me explain to you what I mean by pansexual. Let me explain to you what this pronoun means. Having that affirming therapist is something that can really take that out of therapy and you can do the work that's needed to be done. So many of us, when we are not in our communities, we do have to explain. Like, I can't tell you how many times my friends have come to me and like, what is transgender? What is non-binary? What is this situation like? And before I tell something or tell a story, if it involves different people, sexual gender minorities, I sometimes have to explain that because I know that my cisgender hetero friends don't always know what I'm talking about. I mean, obviously our podcast here is to help educate and help kind of bridge those things. I know we have a lot of listeners who may not identify with the community and want to know more on these topics. I had some reach out to me when, when I was doing some early promo asking me, what is the, the IA? I, I knew the LGBTQ part, but what's IA? Uh, what's two spirit? What, what is mm -hmm. pansexual? What do you mean? Asexual uh, things yeah. like that, that are, are, identities we want to represent and talk about, but that people may not know. And again, walking into therapy and getting that affirmation can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I know even as someone who's part of the community, it's I am learning stuff every time that we, you know, we look up a new topic or just again, it's like you're just reading an article and I'm like, wait, so what is this? It's like the Soji community. I didn't know what that was. And I'm I'm a Soji person. And, and so, you know, again, it's just there's so much information out there and there's so much, you know, new studies and, and new things that are coming out as as people are more open and accepting. Um, so, you know, I know that's, you know, part of the whole point of this podcast. 
And I'm excited to be part of that, you know, education as, you know, as I am to educating myself. I think it's our time to, to bounce out. We're going to be back next week talking with Brad Pritchett, getting a little bit about his coming out story. I'm really looking forward to that. I feel like today was really good. I'm so thankful to Sarah Stilwell for being our guest today. She's so great. And remember, you can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. <laughs>